Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. We are looking at a series that we're going to continue on for the next couple of weeks also concerning the judgment of God's imperfect people. All of us recognize that we are, if you are saved, if you know the Lord Jesus, that you're imperfect. And by that we know that all of us, what? Sin. So if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, that does not mean that you are removed from the ability to sin. You and I continue to sin. We have attitudes. We, we do things that are wrong. We sin. Now what happens is, is that there's a, there's a faulty line of thinking that can creep into your life that because you have trusted in Jesus and you know that, that your sins are forgiven and that you're going to go to heaven, that you basically can adopt an incorrect thinking, which is what we looked at a couple of weeks ago, of how you think that, well, you know what, since I'm forgiven, I can just do whatever I want to do. God gave me a blank check. He gave me a debit card drawn on the bank of Jesus Christ to just do whatever I want to do. And what we've seen so far is, is that's not true. But while forgiveness is there, that does not give you a license to sin. Because the reality is, is though, even though I'm not going to go to hell, I still have to answer to him for my actions now. And so last week we looked at the whole, starting last week we looked at the whole issue of how God judges us presently, because there is a present aspect to God's judgment and a future aspect. The future aspect is when we all go stand before him. The present aspect now is our life now. And we saw last week that God right now, like a loving father, disciplines his children. He sometimes has to take us to the woodshed or out behind the woodshed to deal with the issues that need to be dealt with in our lives. Now, today what we're going to do is look at a second aspect of that present judgment. And that present judgment involves you and I, and that is that God judges us through ourselves. What do you mean by that, George? God brings judgment in our lives now because of the sin in our lives now by having us judge ourselves. In fact, maybe I should have started out with this one last week because when we judge ourselves, if we respond to sin in our lives by dealing with it now, we actually may stop the judgment of God now concerning our sin. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a very familiar passage a lot of you know this passage because this is a passage that we deal with around communion. It's concerning the instructions concerning communion. But I want to look at the overall issue, not just the issue of communion here. And that has to do with you and I looking at our own lives and dealing with the stuff in our lives. So I want you to notice with me verses 17 through the end of the chapter. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you have come together not for the better, but for the worst. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in to eat and drink in? 
Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? I do not praise you. Look over at verse 27 now. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another, If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. This passage helps us to understand the whole issue of God's present judgment as we judge ourselves. So let's look at several different things that are going on here. First, let me kind of set the setting for this passage so you understand what's happening here. In the early church, it was very common that when they gathered for worship, The church would gather from all over the city, wherever they were, and they would meet together all day long. Now, you thought an hour and my little bit of going over every Sunday was a long time. When they gathered, they gathered all day long. I mean, it was church all day long. Can you comprehend that? None of you want to see that happen, do you? But it was all day long there. So what they would do is is they would have a meal. So this, you want potluck dinners are biblical. Because that's what was happening here. It was a potluck dinner every Sunday. And what they would do is they would call it the love feast. And as a part of the love feast, they would celebrate communion or the Lord's table every Sunday. And what Paul is talking about here is that there were some problems happening at their potluck dinner, at the love feast. And what was happening was this, is that those who had something of course, would show up with all of their spread and just put out all their dishes and wonderful stuff. But those who had nothing, they came with nothing. Now, that's that's not uncommon. Obviously, everybody would share in that. But here's what the problem would happen. Those who had would gorge themselves, keep the food to themselves. Those who had nothing would sit around just twiddling their thumbs and not eating. They weren't gathering as a family. Those who had gorged themselves, some of them even got drunk. Those who had nothing sat there with nothing. And Paul says, it's not right. In fact, here's what he says. Notice something here. They were even showing some favoritisms. Notice verse 19. For there must be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Here's what was happening. Not only were they just kind of keeping the food to themselves and not helping the brother next to them who didn't have anything, they were also showing favoritism of the approved. You know, that select few individuals who are the approved. And they were showing favoritism to the approved. And Paul says, it's wrong. There's some major problems going on here. And as we look at this situation, I want us to see some attitudes that we can have towards sin because this is definitely what was going on here. Three things I want you to see. First of all, It's not concerned about its effect on others. 
with the whole issue of sin, our attitude can be that it's not concerned about its effect on others. Your whole focus is yourself. So when these guys gathered together for their meal, all they could think of was, boy, there's those pizza rolls. How many can I fit in my stomach at one time? And there they were. Just gorging on themselves. It didn't matter that the guy at the end of the line, because they put the favored ones, the approved ones, probably at the front of the line, and those who had nothing were in the back of the line, and they didn't get anything. Oh, they're satisfied. But they weren't really concerned about the effect on the others. See, that's the way it is with sin in our lives. Sin is so selfish and self-centered. All we think about is ourselves. That's why we do it, because it makes us feel good. It, it satisfies a need. We're not concerned about the effect that it has on other people. Oh, you know what, they can just deal with it. But that's the attitude. It's not concerned about the fact on other people. That's the whole focus of sin. Maybe just be honest with you. Look at the sin issues in your life. What do you mean sin issues, George? If you are here, you've got a sin issue. Now, your sin issue may be different than my sin issue. But if you're breathing air, you've got a sin issue. But when you examine your sin issue in your life, I can almost guarantee that at the center of your sin issue is three things. Me, myself, and I. Selfishness. And you're really not concerned about how it affects people around you. Because you just kind of play it off. Well, they'll just get over it. You're not concerned about what it does to your spouse. You're not concerned about what it does to your family. You're not concerned about what it does to your friends. You're not concerned about what it does to the church or the community. They just have to deal with it. Isn't that the attitude of our society today? It's not concerned about the effect on others. Why? Second thing, it is totally self-centered. Totally self-centered. It is totally focused on self. Sin is totally self-centered. See, that was what was going on in Corinth. In Corinth, they weren't really concerned about the fact that maybe they were being gluttons and eating too much and not allowing anybody else to eat. Or maybe they were showing favoritism to, quote, the approved people, but the unapproved people maybe weren't getting anything. They weren't concerned about that. Why? Because they were totally focused on self. And that's our attitude about sin. When it comes to the sin issues in our lives, we're not concerned about anybody else. We're just concerned about who? The three. Me, myself, and I. That's all we're concerned about. And then it leads to the final thing, our attitude about sin is this. It is flippant about worship. As a part of their dinner, they would celebrate the Lord's table. So there they are, with their attitudes, with their actions, with their sin, and then they decide, oh, well, let's have communion. Let's remember the body and blood of Jesus. Let's remember that he died for me. They were flippant. See, that's our attitude towards sins. We can, we can, you know, and, and Christians are good at this. We can have a grudge. You could be sitting here right now and you've got a grudge towards somebody. You've got an attitude towards them. I mean, you've been carrying that attitude for a long time. Because they hurt you. Or maybe you just don't like them. And so you're sitting there and you've got that attitude. And you've just been, you've nursed that attitude. You wake up in the morning with that attitude. You go to bed with that attitude. You, you even add to the attitude. You just love your attitude and then we'll celebrate communion and you'll say, oh, well, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. And just kind of overlook that you're still holding on to that attitude. See, that's the issue of sin. 
the sin issue causes us to be flippant about worship. The sin issue causes us to be flippant about the fact that Jesus died for your sins. And of all the things to be flippant about was communion. The time in which we get together to remember that Jesus died on a cross, suffered the cruelty that he did for our sin. But you know what? We're really flippant about our sin. It doesn't really matter because we're so focused on self. Can I remind you? Sometimes we need to be reminded, and sometimes I need to be reminded of this a lot, that sin is serious business. Here is the seriousness of of sin. The penalty of sin, the scripture says, is always death. Your sin requires death. Now the thankful thing is, is that somebody else stood up and died for you. Jesus. But see, it either results in the death of Christ, or if you don't accept that, it results in your death ultimately in hell, which is a living death. And so these guys, when they gathered together, it's like they forgot the nature of sin altogether, and they were just flipping about their worship. Why? Because they were so focused on self, so focused on themselves. Who cares about anybody else? It's about me, myself, and I. And that was the attitude that they entered into worship with. Let me ask you a question. Is that you this morning? You entered into here and you've got your pet sin issue? And, and you're thankful and you're, 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 you're expressing love and thankfulness to God for thanksgiving, but you're just not going to let go of that one area of your life? Could it be that maybe your worship this morning is flippant? Could it be? Then he tells us, verse 27 through 36, he gives us a call. He calls us to judge ourselves. He calls us to examine our own lives, to to deal with the sin issues in our lives. So I want you to notice, there's several different points I want you to notice as we look at verses 27 through 32. The first thing I want you to notice we see in verse 27 is this. We are inviting God's discipline. Look, if you have those kind of attitudes towards sin, that you know, you've got your little pet sin issue and so forth, you are inviting God's discipline in your life. You're just asking Him to respond. You're just saying, okay, Lord, I can't seem to deal with it on my own. You're going to have to take me to the woodshed. You know, we sometimes see that in the attitude of our children, don't they? We tell them, and we tell them, look, you know, you need to not do that. We'll even give them some extra time. We'll say, you know, don't make me do this. It's going to hurt me more than it hurts you. They never believe that one. But they continue on, don't they? It's, oh, and, and guess what? Boom, you drop the hammer on them then. You take those privileges away. You, you exercise that discipline. And when you've got these kind of flippant attitudes, especially when you come into worship, and you've got those flippant, self-centered, who cares what it does and what, how it affects anybody else in my life, Paul says, you're inviting God's discipline in your life. You're inviting Him to step in because you're His child. Remember something, you're His child... And you're inviting him to take you to the woodshed. And God has taken me to the woodshed. I don't like going there. Some of you have been taken to the woodshed. You don't like going there, do you? How many of you want to go to the woodshed? Nobody. 
So then what does he tell us then? He tells us to judge ourselves. Here's what he says, verse 28, look what he says. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The next thing I want you to see is, is that because it's inviting God's discipline, it should motivate us. How should it motivate us? It should motivate us to examine ourselves. It should motivate you to look at your life and say, wait a minute now, I'm not doing right. I'm sinning against God. I'm sinning against the people around me. I'm so self-centered. I'm so self-focused. I'm not doing right. I need to make a change in my life. That's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us. And see, that's a form of God's judgment right now. It's not just for him to take me to the woodshed, but he gives me the opportunity because of the woodshed to examine my own life. To examine my own life. So what we see there in that slide is this. We should, it should motivate us to examine ourselves. Look, that's the whole reason why we have communion. Communion is a time of remembrance. In fact, I think it's on the front of this table, isn't it? Do this in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? That he died for me, for my sin. And so when I come here, I reflect upon the fact of my sin and that my sin put Jesus on the cross and that He died a cruel death so that I didn't have to. And so it should cause me to say, you know what, Lord, there's some issues in my life that aren't right. Lord, there's some attitudes that I'm holding that aren't right. Lord, I'm not treating my spouse right. Lord, I'm not treating my kids right. Lord, I'm not treating my parents right. Lord, I'm not doing right at work. Lord, I'm not, I'm not acting right towards towards my friends, or Lord, I'm not acting right towards my neighbors, or Lord, I'm not doing right. I need your help. I know you're displeased with me, Lord, but I want you to do something to help me in this issue. We're to judge ourselves. We're to judge ourselves. Someone once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And it's so true. If you don't look at your own life and you start seeing the issues in your life that need to be dealt with and you don't do something about them, it isn't worth living because you're just having a big mess. A big mess. And so it should motivate us. Then verse 30, just to help us to understand, Paul says this, learn from the example of others. Look at what he says in verse 30, because he said this, for this reason, what reason? The judgment of God Many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. What's he saying? You just need to look around you and see others who are being taken to the woodshed, and that should help you. You just need to learn from the example of others who are experiencing the disciplined hand of God, and maybe that should help you. He says that many of them were sick and weak. That is, some of them were experiencing the disciplining hand of God by their health issues. Some of them had experienced death because they were of no use to God anymore in this world. He had to take them home because they were so self-centered. They were saved, but they were of no use to him anymore. So learn from the example of others. Learn from the example of others. You know what? There's a general principle in that. If you're, you're heading down the road in an issue of sin... All you need to do is look around you and see who that has destroyed. If you're struggling with alcoholism, all you need to do is look at a family where alcoholism has destroyed it. And then picture yourself there. Learn from the example of others. That should motivate us to examine our own lives, should it not? 
Should it not motivate you and I as we look at those issues to deal with them? Why? Final verse 31 tells us self-judgment precludes God's discipline. Self-judgment precludes God's discipline. What does that word preclude mean, George? It means to put off. It means to exclude yourself from. It means to stave off or to hold off God's judgment. If I judge myself and deal with the issues in my life, then God doesn't have to take me to the woodshed. I just asked you earlier how many of you wanted to go to the woodshed. Nobody raised their hand. Rightfully so. But do you understand how you keep from going to the woodshed? Is by you making the decision to deal with the issues in your life. And you say, well, I don't know that I can handle them in my life. Then James talks about that you go to another brother, confess your sins to him, and he helps you to overcome it. See, that's the whole reason why there are programs like AA. Or ANA, Narcotics Anonymous, or Gamblers Anonymous, is that people who recognize that they need help go and meet with others who need help, and together they overcome it. But the key thing is that they examine their life and recognize what? That they needed help. That they needed help. And by doing that, you're not inviting the disciplining hand of God in your life. Because you judge yourselves now. Why? Why all of this? Why this self-examination thing? Why the discipline of God? He tells you in verse 32. Notice what he says. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. What's he saying? The purpose of discipline. The purpose of discipline is for our good. The purpose of discipline is for our good. Look, God's not out to squash you. God's, sometimes we get into this, I gotta gotta stop for a moment, because sometimes we get in this rut that we think that God is up there in a big cosmic control panel saying, hmm, there's Rod. Looks like he's having too much fun today. Hmm, wonder how he would do with a cold. Not just any old cold, but the cold. And, there we go. Beep! Rod's got a cold. And that's our concept of God, that he's just waiting. Oh, there's Hoss. wonder what he would do with four flat tires on the expressway. Isn't that our concept of God, that God is waiting to bring problems into my life? He just wants me to be miserable? No! God is love, and as part of his character of love is that he always expressed perfect love towards you, even in his discipline of you. And so when he disciplines you and takes you to the woodshed because of the issues in your life, he's doing it for your own good. He's doing it to benefit you. So when he tells you to examine your life and deal with the stuff in your life, he's telling you that not so that you don't have fun and have a miserable life, He's telling you because he wants to spare you of misery. He wants to spare you of problems. Because he understands what the outcome of sin is. And the outcome of sin is this. The wages of sin is death. Let me give you two closing thoughts. Two closing. One's a question and the other is a statement. As we consider this whole issue of judging ourselves presently. Because next week we're going to look at what the future judgment is. 
You know, next week we're going to look at the whole issue of you and I standing before God. And, and, and I'll be honest with you. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And the Bible is very specific about what it says will happen when you and I stand before God. But right now, in the present time, as he gives us this opportunity to deal with the issues in our lives, let me just ask you this first question. What is your attitude about sin in your life? What is your attitude about sin in your life? Are you just totally focused on self? Who cares what it's doing to others around you? Who cares about the effect on others? What it has on your family? What it has on your kids? On your parents? Who cares about any of that stuff? I'm just concerned about me, myself, and I, the three of us. What's your attitude? Are you flippant? Are you here this morning? Oh, I I know Jesus has forgiven me, but I'm just going to keep on doing my own thing. Are you flippant? See, I can't tell you that. I maybe can tell you through some actions that, you know, as I, you know, as you pastor a long time, you get to know people and you get to see actions and you get to recognize things. But I really don't know your heart because I can't crawl inside of you and, and really crawl inside your brain and know the reasons for everything that you're doing. But you do. You do. What is your attitude? Is it flippant? Or do you find it to be something serious that you need to deal with? And do you recognize that if you don't deal with it, He will? And believe me, He will. See, because let me tell you something about God. God is a Heavenly Father, but God is not like a father who just kind of ignores what's going on with his kids and hopes that they get better. He's proactive. He's involved in your life. And He will get your attention and He will direct you in the direction that you need to go because He knows that's what's best for you. So what's your attitude? Second thing I want you to consider is this. As you recognize your attitude and you know that there's some things that you need to deal with, the next thing I want you to recognize is this. Deal with the issue. Deal with the issue. Deal with it. Well, you know, I kind of like the problem. Really? Do you like the consequences too? Do you like the consequences? Deal with the issue. You say, I don't know that I can deal with the issue. I need some help to deal with the issue, George. I, 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 I. Then do what the Scripture says. Cry out to Him. He'll help you. Or if He directs you, seek out a mature person. And to make qualify that, a mature person. Not just anybody. And go to them and say, maybe it's me or maybe it's somebody else. And go to them and say, you know, i got a problem and I need your help. You just don't want to... Because you know, loose lips sink ships, don't they? And so you need to go to somebody who's mature, who can help you. But deal with it. Because the ultimate result, if you don't deal with it, it, it will result in 
death. That's the consequences. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.